remembering a NASCAR legend on his birthday. Dictionary.com's word of the year. More anti-vaccine fear stories and more on today's edition of the Random Thoughts Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode number 216 of the Random Thoughts Podcast, spelled R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com online. I am your host, Darren O'Neill, and on today's show, we do have a few random things to talk about, hence the name of the show. It has been a big week for birthdays, mainly of musicians that I like. We, well, not just a week, pretty much a two-day span, which started on December 12th, which was Monday of this week, which was Frank Sinatra's birthday. Most people will know that, Old Blue Eyes, a legend in his own right. And it was also Hank the Third's birthday, which musically yeah, can't get much different between Frank Sinatra and Hank the Third, yet still born, both. On December 12th and then December 13th yesterday, even Bill O'Reilly on his segment, This Day in History, talked about in 1989. On December 13th, Taylor Swift, born in Pennsylvania, only to go on to massive mega stardom in the pop world. But for a lot of you that don't know, December 13th was my favorite musician's long before Taylor Swift was around. One of my favorite guitar players' birthday, Uncle Ted, Ted Nugent, also born on December 13th. He, a little older than Taylor Swift, she turned 33 this year, and Uncle Ted turned 74, but he's still looking good. He's still out there rocking. Must be all of that venison and the lack of doing drugs over his 74 years. But it's kind of interesting because those four artists, if you go look at the breakdown of artists that I listen to, and I can do that because there's a little app that's been doing that for years, Last FM, where every time you play, I mean, you have to register the little player and then it pings whatever you're playing to their server. And it has a list of that online. And those four artists, I could pretty much get away with listening to those four almost nonstop. I mean, there's a lot of other good stuff, but those four were in the top few percent of what I would consider my favorites. And for them all to be born on December 12th or 13th, I thought was kind of interesting. Now, born today, as we're doing this show, December 14th, back in 1954, a little bit of a different story, not music related at all. But December 14th, 1954, the birthday of the late, great Alan Kulwicki, a race car driver in the NASCAR series that was unique in a whole lot of different ways. He was born in Greenfield, Wisconsin, which is a suburb of Milwaukee. And if you follow NASCAR at all, you know, especially back in the day, 
It was pretty much a Southerner sport. They didn't really like Yankees coming down. So here we have this guy from Wisconsin coming down. And when Alan Kowicki got into the game, it was already a little bit late. It wasn't like he was coming down as a teenager. He was about 30 years old and decided he was going to go make it in racing. He sold everything that he owned, which takes some guts and packed up his truck with a trailer, loaded up with a bunch of tools, a car, I believe, and headed down south to a race team that said, hey, if you ever want to run, come on down. So he was unannounced, which was kind of interesting, ends up running a few races, and eventually the guy that he was running the races for decided to get out of the business and sold the team to Alan Kowicki, who became one of the most successful owner drivers at the time. I mean, normally there was a you know pecking order. You had the owners, they had the money, the driver would come in, they were the talent. Then you had the guys that knew what they were doing as far as being able to put the car together to understand the physics of the race car, to understand what could get more speed out of a vehicle then that's how you win in NASCAR, at least back then. Maybe that's changed a little bit now with the new car that they have. But it was that intelligence, it was that engineering intelligence that made a difference in NASCAR back in the late 80s and early 90s and where Alan Kowicki also was different than any other driver in NASCAR is that he came down there with a degree in mechanical engineering that he got at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. So he was a little bit different. One, he's a Yankee. Two, he had a college education. And besides a college education, he had an engineering degree. And he was a guy that was known as kind of a loner. He was a perfectionist. He was a very smart guy. When people talk about Alan Kowicki, I think it was Ray Everingham, famous crew chief, from NASCAR worked with Jeff Gordon for years and years and years. He worked with Alan Kowicki for a short period of time and said, there's no doubt that Alan Kowicki is a genius, but it also leads to him being very hard to work for. I mean, today you might guess that maybe he was on the spectrum a little bit because he was a perfectionist that had to have things done exactly in a certain way. So it was hard for him to find crew members that would stick around. And he decided to start looking more for guys that were also racers that ran their own teams on a lower level just to get people that understood the amount of perfection that he was striving for. And it took him a little bit of time. He left home in 1984. He won his first NASCAR race, which is the highest level for those of you who don't follow racing NASCAR is the highest level the Winston Cup series back then now it is the just the cup series there's different sponsors they come in and out but the premier series his first win came a few years after that in Pocono Pennsylvania where he did something that I guess nobody had ever done before it's kind of hard to believe I mean Jimmy Pearsall back in the day hit a home run, and ran the bases backwards, meaning he ran from third to second to first back home, and then baseball went, no, 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 you can't do that during a game. But after a race, Alan Kowicki 
after he got his first win, took a victory lap, but he did it going in the opposite direction, which I guess nobody had done before. And that has been dubbed ever since the Polish victory lap, because yes, if you haven't guessed, Alan Kowicki is Polish. The Kowicki, that was probably a giveaway, but that was the first ever Polish victory lap. And Alan Kowicki then went on to win the NASCAR Cup Series Championship in 1992. It was the closest championship ever until they changed the format, which, of course, was done in order to make things closer artificially than they really need to be. This was back in the day where NASCAR would just give you points for all of the races that you ran, and it was 30-something races back then. And there was no playoffs. There was just every race counted for the same amount of points. So if you won the first race, you got the same amount of points as if you won the last. So consistency was key, which I guess NASCAR thought made it boring, which is why they wanted to go with this more spectacular way of having a final four and then cutting it down. Well, the final eight, then a final four, then having a championship race. Back in the day, that wasn't the way it was and Alan Kowicki took home the crown during the final race of the 1992 season to put that into perspective on where that was in NASCAR history that race was Richard Petty the King's final race which he crashed out of and you really should go and check out the video from Richard Petty's final race where the car lights on fire after a wreck and he pulls down into the infield and he calls for a very specific kind of fire extinguisher. And it was also Jeff Gordon, multiple champions to come in his future. Jeff Gordon's first race, Richard Petty's final race, and Alan Kulwicki's championship in 1992. Which again, he was the first guy ever to win a cup championship that even had a college degree. As they said, that engineering degree, as somebody that was running the team, working on the cars and all that, was probably pretty important. He was the first Winston Cup champion that was born in a northern state. And this has been attributed as his favorite song. And I don't know if that's true. I believe it is. And they also played it for him at that banquet. Just a little snippet of it was. Frank Sinatra's My Way, which just ties that whole thing in with Frank Sinatra being born on December 12th, Alan Kowicki, December 14th, because Alan Kowicki did achieve a championship by doing it his way, by doing everything on his own, by being in control of everything. He turned down multiple offers to drive for other teams. One was Junior Johnson. NASCAR legend offered him a million dollars to drive for him. And that was big money back in the day. I mean, not that a million dollars isn't big money today, but back in the day, that was a lot of money. But Alan Kowicki thought that he had already had a handshake agreement with the Maxwell House folks to sponsor his team. So he thought he was well on the way for his own team to have the funding that it needed. Well, it turned out Junior Johnson then swooped in took away that Maxwell House sponsorship, which left Alan Kowicki 
without a sponsor for the first few races of this would have been like 1989, 88, 89, that he didn't have a sponsor on the car. And he ran the first few races without a sponsor until they got to Atlanta. And in Atlanta, he qualified on the pole without a sponsor on the car. And the team that the Hooters Corporation was sponsoring for that race did not make the race. Hooters being based in the Atlanta area really wanted to get on a car. They worked out a deal with Alan Kowicki to be on the car for that Atlanta race. He did well in that race. And that led to a combination sponsor and driver that stuck with him through his championship. And then unfortunately, Alan Kowicki perished in a plane crash along with a couple of Hooters executives on April 1st, 1993. The crash was determined to be an accident due to pilot failure to operate the engine's inlet anti-ice system properly. So pilot error, a tragedy that took the life of a guy that did a lot of dangerous things. And that was the same year that Davey Allison, another NASCAR legend, passed away in a helicopter accident that at the end of the year, Dale Earnhardt won the championship. Rusty Wallace had won the race, and they both each carrying a flag of Davey Allison and Alan Kowicki did the Polish victory lap as an honor for those guys. It's a dangerous sport. They know that, and it's even crazier that guys that do that kind of stuff for a living ended up perishing in airplane and helicopter crashes but you never know when it's going to be your time i guess i for years when i would fly i would wear an alan kowicki t-shirt just because i figured that was a great way to tempt the fate of a guy that went down in a plane crash i mean some people may look at that the exact opposite direction but i figured that was good luck and if there was anybody you know alan kowicki like me good roman catholic kid if somebody was watching down you figure that might just get you a little bit of help. It's kind of like Taylor Swift. She finds the number 13 to be lucky. There's a lot of people who are absolutely afraid of the number 13. So it's all about your perspective, I guess. But there is no question that Alan Kulwicki left his mark on the sport of NASCAR. There's a park around his home in the Milwaukee area named for him. There's a scholarship that is named for him and I believe using his funding I know his family donated about two million dollars to a college to help the engineering motorsports program the Sinatra song definitely fit him well because Alan Kowicki did everything his own way and that's really what more can you ask for if you're going to succeed to do it completely on your own we can all I think take a lesson from that One of the kids that came up through some of these programs that was funded by Alan Kowicki is a guy named Ty Majeski. He just won his first race this year in the NASCAR truck series and did a Polish victory lap. Of course, Ty, another Polish kid from Wisconsin. It was just cool to see that tradition continuing in the memory of a guy 
that again left his mark on the NASCAR racing world. Dictionary.com, well, they're leaving a different kind of a mark. And this shouldn't really surprise anybody. Their word of the year for 2022 is woman, because, you know, it is such a changing term that could mean so many different things. Oh, my goodness. I guess it was earlier this year that the Cambridge Dictionary, you know, the snooty Cambridge Dictionary, changed the definition of woman to include, quote, anyone who identifies as female. It's like, what? No. Identifying as something does not make you something. That's not the way reality works. I identify as a NASCAR champion. Okay, does that, where are my trophies? I don't see them. Why? Because identifying as something does not mean that's what you are. So this just means language is meaningless. And maybe it is. We talked about that last week with the English teacher who said, oh, English is white supremacy. I mean, get these teachers out as quickly as you can, but also do not support things like the Cambridge Dictionary, dictionary dictionary.com for this kind of stuff. A quote here from John Kelly, senior director of editorial at dictionary.com. Do we really need a senior director of editorial says, quote, this year, the very matter of the definition of the word woman was at the center of so many consequential moments, discussions, and decisions in our society. Our selection of woman as the word of the year for 2022 and how the word is defined, who is included in that definition, who the word applies and belongs to, highlights how important the work of a dictionary is and how dictionaries can impact people's lives. Dude, you're high. Dictionaries do not impact people's lives. Dictionaries are supposed to be there to be a reference source. And you know what makes your reference source absolutely useless is when you start randomly changing things at the whim of a small minority of people rather than being the source of knowledge which shows you what the majority of people believe. When you start making changes, to a historical record, when you start making changes to a reference material based upon the whims of a very small minority group, an activist minority group, then you have lost all credibility in everything else you do, period. Dara Sanderson, the CEO of Dictionary.com, also had to put out a statement, I guess. Quote, every day at Dictionary.com, our team is documenting how language is changing. Following the data and cultural roadmaps, our work culminates in an important selection. (laughs) Yeah, this is so important what the Dictionary.com 2022 uh, word of the year is. Our work culminates in an important selection, a word that defines a year and tells a deeper story. Yeah, the deeper story is you're all high. You're all denying reality. You're all insane. That's the story that's being told here. Dara goes on to say, perhaps no word is more relevant for those points than woman. As we look at the year ahead, linguistically, culturally, and politically, 
we anticipate an ever-evolving discourse, end quote. Again, identifying something does not make you something. Saying one thing is something else does not make it something else. Saying a mask will protect you from a virus does not actually make the mask protect you from a virus. This is the problem. Words mean things. If there's one thing that I took from the late, great Rush Limbaugh was that statement, which he said over and over again, words mean things. Once we start denying that words mean things, once we start being just willy nilly on how we're going to let definitions be cemented, who we're going to let decide what a word means. That is the path to hell that we are currently on. And the Cambridge Dictionary, dictionary.com, for me, it's like, nope, I can't trust anything you have because you're loons. There is a man, there is a woman. Now, men could dress up and drag if they want. That's fine. Doesn't make them a woman. Does not. I mean, the hilarity is, for years, women have been complaining that there's a glass ceiling. They don't get equal rights. They don't get equal pay. Although the equal pay thing has been disproven in a lot of different areas. But now we have even funnier because men can just go, no, no, we are women. And get into women's sports and start breaking records. I mean, of course, Levine, right? You know, the first woman admiral. But, you know, is it? Come on. Let's stay somewhat focused on reality. And I don't care how people dress up. I don't care what people do in their bedrooms. I don't care what people do behind closed doors. But it is the women that are getting screwed in all of this stuff. Well, if somebody just identifies as a woman, well, then they can compete in women's sports. Well, that's going to lead to no actual women ever winning most events ever again. And it's not a uh, thing where it goes the other way because I doubt there's going to be very many women that are like, well, I identify as a man, so I'm going to go play in the NBA or in the NFL or in Major League Baseball or in the NHL. Don't see that happening. There's a reason for that because men and women are different physically. I know that's a really hateful, horrible, just anti so many things to say. Men and women are different physically. Words mean things. There is no fair debate. There is no fair discourse if one side is allowed to change the meaning of words at their whim. Beware the people behind this. Be aware that this is going on and why it is culturally significant, how it can hurt you and your family if you accidentally say the wrong word or dare to have an opinion different than that of a radical leftist, which I have a few of those. I did a story on the last Random Thoughts about the worst journalist thing that I saw that week, which was the story of Rod Stewart's son who had a panic attack which was reported on Breitbart and a bunch of other sources as having a heart attack including on the no agenda program which I was a little disappointed to hear that there but this is a lesson on why you cannot read headlines this is why you always have to go deeper into the story to find the details and not let confirmation bias be your guide 
you always want to try to disprove everything. And if you can't, then maybe there's some truth to it. That still doesn't guarantee it. But you have to go as far as you can to try to disprove the insanity that is being spewed out into the world as news, as journalism. And this week, there is a story in Fortune magazine, which was reprinted a bunch of places, which is absolutely hilarious. Again, this is journalism in 2022, written by a woman. I'm assuming, I mean, I mean, dictionary.com, they might be like, well, you don't know for sure. Aaron Prather, Prater, I'm sorry, Aaron Prater, P R A T E R, wrote this story. Quote, if you passed on getting the COVID vaccine, you might be a lot more likely to get into a car crash. End quote. I, okay. This is kind of interesting. If you passed on getting the COVID vaccine, you might be a lot more likely to get into a car crash. You might be. You might be. It goes on, quote, or at least those are the findings of a new study published this month in the American Journal of Medicine. Well, the American Journal of Medicine is a pretty respectable outlet, I would think. Quote, during the summer of 2021, Canadian researchers examined the encrypted government-held records of more than 11 million adults, 16% of whom hadn't received the COVID vaccine. They found that the unvaccinated people were 72% more likely to be involved in a severe traffic crash in which at least one person was transported to the hospital than those who were vaccinated. That's similar to the increased risk of car crashes for people with sleep apnea, though only about half that of people who abuse alcohol, researchers found, end quote. So this is not only the worst journalism that I saw this week, but also something then that is worse than journalism, which is a study being published in a medical journal that is nothing but quackery and you wonder why people don't trust doctors you have to have a good doctor but i can understand why people don't trust the whole as a body of medicine everybody that works in there from the drug companies on down to the fauci's of the world i get why people do not trust what they say this article goes on to say quote the excess risk of car crash posed by unvaccinated drivers exceeds the safety gains from modern automobile engineering advances and also imposes risks on other road users, the authors wrote. Of course, skipping a COVID vaccine does not mean that someone will get into a car crash. Oh, really? Thank you for pointing that out. Instead, the authors theorize that people who resist public health recommendations might also neglect basic road safety guidelines end quote really so people who don't get a vaccine this is somebody publishing an article in a medical journal that because you decided not to get a covid vaccine now we're a few years into this finally and we can see 
that there are definitely side effects to go along with every vaccine. There are more side effects for some people with one, more side effects for others with the other, meaning the mRNA versus the non-mRNA. And I don't even know if the non-mRNA are around anymore. I haven't seen anything on anything but the Pfizer and Moderna mRNA lately. But because you made the medical decision for you and or your family not to get a vaccination, that makes you more likely to drive erratically. This is junk science at its very core. This is fear porn. This is another way for you to point at people and be like, oh, the non-vax people are bad. No, the non-vax people just want to take their own lives into their own hands. And I can appreciate that. That's what I've been saying all along. My doctor recommended I get a vaccine. And I got the Johnson & Johnson one. I knew going in, there was the possibility of blood clots. But I wasn't a female in my 20s to 30s, which seemed to be the majority of the problems. And uh, I had no adverse side effects. Oddly enough, I may have mentioned before, got a 2D echo, the echocardiogram, which I get yearly, and actually showed improvement after getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. I know for all the people that are anti-vax, if somebody got myocarditis after getting the vaccine, they'd be like, oh, it's definitely the vaccine. Well, was this the vaccine that my test results got a little bit better? I don't know. There's also been plenty of articles showing that people who can track COVID can get a variety of issues with the heart. And the only question for me is how do you prove if it is more prevalent with the vaccine or by contracting the virus? There've been a few articles on this, but again, the sourcing is always interesting. MSNBC, and it was NBC, not MSNBC had some breakdowns on this kind of stuff, but nothing is black or white. And the bottom line is you have issues with the vaccines. If anybody argues with you at this point that there are no side effects, go running away from them at a very high rate of speed. Now, I will also say that the vaccines don't appear to be bad for a lot of people. So that's why it's important to know if the blood clotting issue, the heart issues, how many people that is occurring with vaccines as opposed to the virus and that data. I don't know if we're ever going to get honest data there because, again, there is no such thing, it seems, as true journalistic integrity. Fortune should be absolutely horrified that they ran this article, but more so, the journal that ran this, which again, I always thought that the American Journal of Medicine was pretty good to run this kind of an article to publish this kind of study, I would guess with that would be the proper verbiage there because words mean things is questionable at best that, oh, well, because you didn't get a vaccine, you were more likely to die in a car crash. Well, maybe here's the thing. Here's the way I would look at it. Maybe the people 
who didn't get the vaccine were also the ones that weren't afraid and hiding under their beds and not leaving the house. So they were on the roads a lot more. Again, throwing out just data points without anything to tie them together, but speculation is not journalism. It is certainly not modern medicine. We can all do better. And again, this is why no matter what you see, what you hear, what you read online, to serve yourself the best that you possibly can, do everything you can to disprove the things you hear before you believe them. Double check sources. That's the other issue. You'll quite often see one story being run in just barely changed form, if at all, in multiple websites. So don't go, well, Breitbart's got it, and so does The Blaze, and so does Fox, so that must all be true. It's like, no, they all just borrow from each other. And half the time they're using a tweet as a source for the story, which also, it turns out, not very accurate to do. Now, just on a random note, I was scrolling through my Facebook feed, which I know is never a good place to be, but it's the place I go looking to buy and sell some tickets. Well, mainly sell for me, but there's a ticket group. So I go onto Facebook and then I see ads and there was a company that was selling candles, scented candles. And I have to admit, I like some scented candles, but I've also learned that 99% of them are bad with what they're putting into the air. So you have to be careful. You know, you want to get a soy candle. You want to get something without lead in the wick. And there's all sorts of different things. But there are some candles out there that are kind of nice, especially around the holidays. We've got a couple of nice ones that smell like, you know, a bakery. So if you want to get that going on, then just remember, you probably want to turn your air purifiers off when running the candles. Because the whole concept of the air purifiers, which I have in multiple rooms, they all have a carbon filter whose only job is to remove scent from the air. So, I mean, the best thing I guess you could possibly do is put your scented candle right next to the air purifier and then you won't smell anything. But there was a company that was making ballpark inspired candles for a few ballparks. And one of them was Wrigley Field. And I was really surprised that the description of it was actually pleasant. It was something like, oh, Ivy and popcorn or something like that. And I'm like, you know, when I think of Wrigley Field, I'm thinking equal parts despair and urine with just just a hint of Ivy. That's what I want to see on a candle. See, I would give those away to people if somebody would make that Wrigley Field candle. Equal parts despair and urine with just a hint of ivy. If somebody can make that, let me know. And I think I will wrap up on that note, but feel a little under the weather the last couple of days again. I don't know. Either something I ate, I might be just getting old and that, or got a little bit of a bug again. Started out with a little stomach problem and now just a little bit of a headache and a little nauseous. And it turns out when you start getting really, really excited and talking, that could make the headache worse. But I digress. I want to thank everybody for giving me your time to listen to the Random Thoughts podcast. I know there are a lot of different things you could be listening to, and it's an honor that you're listening to this show. 
Do me a favor, recommend it to a friend, especially when you're out at your holiday gatherings. People are like, what are you listening to? What can I listen to to try to stay sane? Where can I get a little bit of a different opinion than I'm getting from the mainstream media or the social medias? Turn them on to Random Thoughts. It is very much appreciated. We are a value-for-value show, which means we put the shows out there. There's no paywall. You get to listen to them, enjoy them to your heart's content. And if you feel like you've gotten any value out of this show, you can get it back to us in a bunch of different ways, including monetarily by going to our website, randomthoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B, thoughts.com slash donate. You can use the donate button for a one-time or monthly donation through PayPal. You can use the QR codes or wallet addresses if you want to do the crypto thing. There is a P.O. box address. If you're over on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash random thoughts. And there are all sorts of different ways for you to get some value back to us. If you are in the podcasting 2.0 ecosystem, boost a gram right now. Send me a boost. Send me a message. And if you don't know what all that is, go to newpodcastapps.com and find out. Today, unfortunately, no executive producers. And that's okay. I get it. Uncle Joe's economy is hurting everybody. It is the Christmas season. Remember to keep your podcasters in your Christmas gift lists when you're sending out all of those beautiful cards. We got a card. It was very nice. From Lady Get Over It. There's a Dame Lady Get Over It. I forget how she likes to go by. And Sir Hopscotch got a nice Christmas card in the mail, in the snail mail. It is the season and all. So few people do that. It's been a long time since i've sent out any kind of paper cards but we need to change that now i mean we're too late for this year obviously but moving forward just a nice way to acknowledge people without using the devices it's a little bit more personal and very much appreciated so i hope you have a great week i will be back next week with another edition of the random thoughts podcast one last one before christmas who knows what that will be Hopefully something fun and exciting. Well, you'll have to tune in to find out. With all that said, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening.